welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast. My name is Nina Sunday, I'm your host. Today a very special guest, I've been waiting ages to invite him to uh, speak with us today, Jeffrey Hazlett, primetime television host of C-Suite with Jeffrey Hazlett and Executive Perspectives Live on C-Suite TV. He's host of the award-winning All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett podcast on C-Suite Radio. Hazlett is a global business celebrity, Hall of Fame speaker, chairman and CEO of C-Suite Network, home of the world's most trusted network of C-Suite leaders and best-selling authors. His most recent book is The Hero Factor, How Great Leaders Transform Organizations and Create Winning Cultures. Welcome, Jeffrey. I want to say this is an important book. It's a Thank very you very much. Book. Well, yeah. I appreciate it. It's a it's a good work. You know, it's good work all the way around. First of all, I really put a lot into it, and I'm just finding a lot of people resonating with it, especially today's world. You know, when you've got to really decide who you want to do business with and how you want to do business. You you make the distinction between operational excellence and hero leadership, and for so long, for decades. Uh, leaders, uh, owners were seeking operational excellence. And I have to fess up and say, when I had my biggest team, we were so focused on operational excellence. Now, of course, I only had eight people, but still, I could have been a hero leader. But I was it was all about the figures. And I thought I had a good culture. But really, what we we are growing in our understanding and awareness of culture. So you talk about the values of collaboration and communication. What is the one thing that you think leaders in, in enterprises are not doing that they should be doing that is so easy to get started to do? Listening. I think, you know, we, we, we think we have to come up with the answers all the time. We think we have to be the smartest person in the room and our job is not to be the smartest person in the room. Our job is to be the most strategic person in the room. And so that's the key thing that we have to be able to do is we have to continue to do our best to let the others, you know, thrive around us and drive the business. And our job is just to help steer from time to time. And listening is one of the biggest things that we could do in that. And here's the thing. It's, it's all, it could, is it all about ego? Is it ego that stops leaders from being more generous with their assigning credit to ideas? Yeah, sometimes it's the ego. Sometimes it's the positioning. You know, we we tend to put a lot of our C-suite executives on pedestals, like they're different than everybody else. And they're not. They're just other people just like us putting on the same pants, the same dresses, the same jackets, the same shoes. But sometimes we tend to put people up on that, and partly because there, you know, there are some bigger decisions you have to make. I mean, let's be clear: some C-suite executives are making life and death decisions, and what I mean by that, they're choosing healthcare plans for their employees. You know, they're sending people into harm's way in some cases. So there is some great responsibility comes with it, but there also comes a great deal of what we have to be in terms of being humble in what we do, and we have to choose to be servants. And that's what C-suite leaders should do as well, is we should be servants to those around us because, you know, we control people's destinies, their lives. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, that we're anointed with that. What I mean is that we impact people by the decisions that we make. 
So those decisions should be routed or rooted in, in values. They should be very deep in what we want to believe and how we want to operate, who we want to operate with. And so, you know, most, most people who work at companies today don't even know the values of their company. And to it's me, that's very that sad. It's a, it's a lip service um, plaque on the wall. And if you ask people, what does it mean? They really can't, can't uh, explain it to you sometimes. Well, you know, we have the C-suite network and, you know, just like we look at it from a brand perspective and a brand is nothing but a promise delivered. I want the team to understand, first of all, what's in our principles, what's in our values. You know, that's what defines the culture of the company. And, you know, I want them to know that we put people above profit. And by doing so, we, we make decisions based on that for the whole and, and, but in the end, by doing so, we have found, as you well read through the book, we found companies that make more money than anyone else in their industry, net more, you know, gross more money than anyone in their industry, have employees who are happier or more engaged, customers more pleased than anyone else, and vendors who want to do business with them. And at the same time, those businesses, when you walk down Main Street or you walk down High Street, they know exactly who that leader is because they revere those businesses in their communities. And so what you're expressing, Jeffrey, is that uh, leaders need to not only care about customers, they need to care about their people because people can sense lack of authenticity. So if you don't, if you don't really come from the heart, if you don't really care about your people, well, it's not going to come through to your customers or clients either. Would that be right? Yeah, amen, amen, sister. You know, the I, I think you have to care more about your employees first before your customers. Now, that's something it's hard for me to come around to, meaning it, it's been difficult, but I've learned that journey. And if I can treat my people like my customers and treat them one and the same, I get a better result all the way around. One of my favorite stories in your book, The Hero Factor, is the one about the uh, staff member that was on the plane that crashed into the Hudson back in 2009. Oh, yeah. And he decided out of his own care for his colleagues that he would, even though he had uh, five hours in hospital being treated for hypothermia because he ended up swimming in the Hudson and being picked up and having to go to hospital, to it reassure his colleagues that he was okay, he called by the office and all his boss would, could say was, well, are you going to Michigan next week? Because there was a big deal. It's like, hang on, care yeah. the person. Yeah, how about checking on me? How about, if, if, did you have dry clothes? There are, or did you, you know, is anything frozen in your body? Were you hurt, you know? Yeah. Those should have been the kind, you should, the first thing was probably maybe even a big hug, quite frankly, yeah. even, even in, you know, maybe sometimes in some cultures inappropriate, but I mean, I love that. You know, and yet the first thing out of that that uh, supervisor's mouth was, are you going to make it next week to Detroit, I think it was, or Michigan. And so yeah. I, I, when I heard that story for the very first time, Dave Sanderson, who was the last civilian off that flight, I, I almost started crying. It was just, it was just, I mean, I'm still emotional about it right now because it just makes you feel bad because here was a guy you know, who, who plane, the plane crashed, the plane crashed. He had to climb out on the wing. He fell into the water, you know, and, and they, you know, pulled him back out, took him to one of, you know, just a few people who were actually, I mean, of all the souls on the plane, he was just one of a few that were hospitalized. 
and yet no calls from his employers, nobody picking him up at the airport other than his family, nobody waving, you know, you know, I would have think they would be, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it'd be, to me, it would have been like the, you know, who was the guy, Tom Hanks in the movie uh, where he was on the desert island and they finally bring him back. Yeah, Castaway. And they had threw a big party for him. I would think we'd throw a big party for the guy. You know, that's what I would have thought. Yeah. And 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 the lesson you put you you draw in the in the uh, book is that the first phone call is to the spouse. Make sure yeah. the, the spouse is is okay as well. But yeah. it just goes to show that um, leaders need to know a well, know a little bit about what's happening in people's lives. Right now, you know, with everything that's been around COVID, you know, we have some check-in meetings with our employees a couple times a week. And, you know, and we acknowledge who's got shots, who didn't get the shot yet, who, who's, who doesn't want to get the shot, because you have some of that going on as well. And that's fine. But we, but we check in with people's lives. And I like to let them know, you know, I, one of my employees broke a glass in his window, a window in his house. And I said something to him. He said, Oh, thanks a lot, Jeff. But he knows I'm checking in on him, right? You know, I was giving him a hard time because he made a mistake. But you know, you know, you know, which only you should be able to do with friends. But but it does show that we're checking in, we're wanting to know what's going on. We even had another employee who's leaving us, but she gave us a month's notice. You know, not two weeks, not four days, yeah. which some we had some people do and have had some people do. And what a wonderful thing to at least have her at least acknowledge, hey, we want to work. We want you to work it out while I'm I'm going to leave on a high note, which yeah. I appreciate. Great and that's you. that's mutual care and concern. That's great. So how do you get everyone aligned to to not only understand the mission and values of a company, but to to pull together as a team? Well, I think you have to get around what I call mutual conditions of satisfaction, right? And and I've got things that I want to accomplish with the business. I got things I want to accomplish professionally, personally, with friends, family, spiritually. And I would want everybody else to also align around those conditions of satisfaction for the business and what they want to do and where they want to go. So what we want to first do is sit down and let's talk about what are our values, what do we cherish? What do we want to do? Should we change them? Should we alter them? Should we reinforce them? How do, how do we live them every single day? And then what's our standard operating procedures for us as a team? How are we going to respond to email? Do you respond back to every email? Does everybody need to be copied? Do we want to use this? Do we want to use Teams? Do we want to use Zoom? What do we, you know? These are the things you want to have good, open, transparent kinds of conversations and come to a mutual understanding, mutual conditions of satisfaction. Continuously go to your, your people with questions rather than just with the answers is what I'm hearing. Well, totally. I mean, I don't want to be the one I always got to come up with things. I don't have enough. My, my, first of all, I'm not that smart. Two, it's tiring, right? <laughs> Three, I don't have all the answers experience. And if I have to answer all that, what do I need you for? Exactly. And, you know, and that's a very, and I say that I call that the Caitlin rule. If I have, you have to, if I have to answer these questions, what do I need you for? That's what I got you there for. So I'm not trying to be mean or derogatory or, you know, to upset you in any way, but that's not my job, so to speak. And my job is to support you, not always do the things that, you know, do the job for you. Jeffrey, sounds like you do have the humility of the truly great. Well, I appreciate that. I, although most people who meet me for the first time 
think, you know, I walk with a great deal of swagger, which I do. I'm a loud, obnoxious American, big cowboy from the Midwest. So there's no doubt about that. I, you know, I'm a lot like a lot, like a lot of Australians. No, nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're a bit like that. <laughs> You're a bit like that over the top, which is though, that's okay. Is the first time I met my wife's grandmother, a uh, great grandmother, she's tiny, petite thing, little tiny thing, uh, only about four foot 11. And my wife's only five foot one. First time she met me, she looked up at me. She looked at my wife. She looked up at me. She looked back at my wife-to-be, Tammy, and said, isn't he bigger than necessary? So <laughs> there's, uh, there's a lot of Australians and a lot of Americans that fit that bill. Now, hero leadership, um, what are the core principles of it? Well, it's just putting people above other above profit. That's the number one piece of it. And then understanding and knowing values of the company, whatever those are, you know, and your hero leadership might be a lot different than my hero leadership. We might believe in totally different things and it's okay as long as you have a good set of values and per, and as long as you're continuing to put people above profit. I think that's the most important thing. Not that there's anything wrong with profit. Let me say that because, you know, profit's what makes the world go around. Making money helps us to do the other things. If, if you want to do good work, it helps if you have a lot more money. So we want you to make money, but we do find that those that are more centric on people in their organization and people that they serve, whether they be inside or out, they tend to be a lot better businesses. Again, they, they gross more money, they net more money, and there's a lot of other uh, of great benefits from it. But more importantly, they, they usually have great operational efficiencies as well. Yes, yeah, so rather than pursuing operational excellence, uh, pursue hero leadership and the operational excellence automatically follows. You, you have it to usually comes with it. Not, you know, not, it usually does come with it. I mean, you've got to have, you can still have, you know, let's say great hero values, but not operational excellence. Well, then you're just a do-gooder who will never make any money. And basically you're a nonprofit, a losing nonprofit. Well, that's not a good thing to do. You know, you want to be a business that's making money because then you can go do more good. You can do things that you'd like to do and you can actually put yourself into a B-class business or other kinds of types of businesses beyond just making money. You can do lots of other things with that. The other thing I like in your book is at the back, you've got an assessment and I did that assessment and I'm just borderline good company hero leader. So I've obviously got a bit more to, a bit further to go. Well, I, I bet you're, you're stronger than what you think. We tend to rate ourselves and we've seen more CEOs rate themselves at a lower rate than what their own employees would rate them. So that's one of the good things that we find in it. And, and so, but the more you start to hang around or, you know, be with or associate or network or do business with other hero leaders, well, the faster you find that, hey, you're in good company. So is it changing? I mean, I, I would probably suggest that decades ago, operational excellence was, uh, was key, but no, no. Is, is it definitely transforming that companies are understanding that they have to uh, focus on their people as well as uh, results? Yeah, I think so overall, especially during COVID. I think COVID was a wake-up call for a lot of businesses. I mean, when you think about it, again, you know, whether you like it or not, well, I was talking to the empo our employees, our team the other day, 
And we were talking about if someone were to get COVID seriously, because we had a number of people who got it, but it wasn't anything serious. What would we do? Would we support them during an extended period of time? And I just said, we'd do what we could. We're making those kinds of life and death decisions. We're, you know, we're doing our best because this is uncharted territory for a lot of folks. But the, the key thing is, are we taking care of people and, and to have good conversations about it? And we are seeing that that swings back towards you know, more centric in terms of being just a great employer, a great, a great company. That doesn't mean you, you, you don't have tough decisions. I've been in situations with my employees where during the middle of COVID or during tough times, they'll say, I don't like that. And I say, okay, great. What's the unemployment rate for the country? Oh, it's that high. Okay. Wow. Okay. I want you all to take out a pen and a piece of paper. You see all the people that we have here on the, in the squares. I want you to eliminate eight people. I want you to write down right now. I want you to write down eight names and you're going to send those to me. And tomorrow they won't be here because see the decision that you said you don't want to go do is going to have to eliminate those eight people in order to pay for what we have to pay for. Now, if that's the decision that you're going to take, and you're, you're, you're behind that 100%, I will back you. That's what we're going to do. So send me your names. And they go, well, we don't want to do that. I said, well, that's what leaders have to do every day. We have to make tough choices. And so I chose either we can do this or we can do this. That's what we have to do. Or sometimes we blend those two together to try to figure out what's best for the business. Now, if you give me an, an ultimatum that says we're not going to do it that way, we only want to do it this way, and by gosh, we're going to put a stake in the ground, give me the eight names. That is so powerful, Jeffrey. <laughs> well, but and it's not to be mean or rude or anything else, but this is what we face every day. I mean, there are times as an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur, I happen just happen to be an entrepreneur that's done run, you know, companies into the billions. And, you know, but we, we make those, but there are times when I have gone without salary for a long, long period of time. There are times when I, when we say, nope, we're going to make do with the computers we have, we're going to, you know, we can change all that. I just, I can, because the biggest expenses that most of us have in a company is people. Exactly. And, and the support of those people. And that's, that's, you know, that's why you see people who lay off 8,000 people or 4,000 or 2,000 or, or 40. And it's not because they choose, they want to, they have, they had to make a choice. They had to choose that because of the alternatives and uh, good or bad. That's very interesting. That exercise that you ex explained is giving people the point of view of a leader, which actually helps them uh, raise their uh, aspirations, perhaps, to understanding what what elite what leadership truly is, so that they're not going, oh, you know, not complaining, because it's very easy for people, individual contributors, to just complain about leadership decisions. But if a leader can let those people into what those decisions entail, uh, it it probably brings ownership to those decisions. Oh well, and you know, it, it's not easy. Look, it's. <laughs> It is sometimes you think it's a black and white decision with certain things and it's not. Yeah. And, you know, I'll have, I'll have leaders come to me in the team and say, we got to fire that person. I'm fired. Okay, great. Okay. Well, let's make a list of everything that they do and let's make sure that you can take over that tomorrow. You know, oh. you're going to have to do the work. Right. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, then you got to come up with a plan to either get them back on track or go find somebody to do it. Now, 
I'm still holding you to that number that you've got to deliver. But if you're going to get rid of that person now, how are you going to make up for that? Right? Right. You know, so there, there's all those kind of things. It's no different than back when I was the chief marketing officer of Eastman Kodak. Frank was the CFO. And Frank was a great CFO. He's one of the few CFOs that I actually like to talk to and or dealt with. He was just, he was very good at his job and very understanding and very thoughtful. And 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 I learned a great deal from Frank. I, it was, he got there about the same time I did. And he would come to me and say, at the, or we would sit around the, the we call this round table. We had this big round table that was like, I don't know, 20 yards across. It was massive. And then we'd have our leadership teams around there. And then all the, the, the people that reported to us would sit around those as, as well. And I remember him saying, well, we've got to cut the budget by 10% in order to meet the, the objectives and so forth. And I said, so um, he goes, so he looked around and I said, I'm in. And, you know, and he goes, well, Jeff, you're the, you're the CMO. I, I thought I'd, you'd be the last person that wanted to cut the budget in advertising and spend and marketing and so forth. No, that's not what we got to do, Frank. You figure it out. No problem. I also want to sit down with you tomorrow if I can, Frank. Yep. No problem. Great. So I go meet an appointment with Frank. And I say, Frank, well, here's the deal. I'm going to cut the 10% that you need to cut, but we also need to cut a little bit more than 10%. So we're probably going to need to set some new things because revenue is going to go down. Well, what do you mean? Well, if we cut, we cut this over here, we've got to cut this over here. You can't hold this over here and still expect, you know, this, this non-expenditure over here to drive that. If they're connected, if we've done our jobs, if we knowing what we're doing, we have to cut it. So it should really be, I've projected it's like 11.5%. So you need to tell everybody that's what they need to do. But I'm only going to cut 10, but we got to go find the other cuts there. And then, and so then I started every time we talk, I'd show him every time if I cut this, it affected this. And pretty soon he was going, we're not touching marketing. Okay. But the rest of you guys have to do this and every, you know, but that, that was a good cause and effect of being able to show and educate people. There is a, there's, you know, for every action, there's an equal reaction of some kind and that you have to tie those together. But, but your responsibility as a leader is to always do what you got to do. I mean, it, you know, it's, you know, I got, sorry, Nina, I'm on a roll. You put the quarter and you get to go for the full ride, as they say here in the States, you know, but, you know, I, you know, I was on a board, and uh, we're getting sued. If you're on a board, public traded company, you're always getting sued by shareholders or by somebody uh, all the time. Not for doing anything wrong. It's just, you know, the stock goes down. Then some, some, some attorney gets some people together and they sue you. That happens all the time. And, but this was a particularly difficult time for this one company. And we were, some of our, our board members, we were battling the chairman of the board who we felt was inappropriately trying to take over the company uh, on the backs of other people. And that's not our responsibility. So we opposed it. Well, and there was lawsuits that resulted in it. And the ultimately we won and we were in the right for all that. But uh, for those three board members uh, who stood there and said, no, we're not going to do this. My wife once said to me, she says, why are you doing this? You're not even getting paid. By the way, we had froze the board salary. We, we wouldn't take anything. We had a majority at the time, so we were saying, nope, no one's getting paid on the board. We're not taking money. This is, you know, this isn't right. If we're losing money over here, it's not right that we make money and so forth. And, and she said to me, why are you doing this? You're not even getting paid. I said, because that's what good people do. Lovely. Look, I think we'll close on those stories, Jeffrey. 
They were fabulous. And thanks for letting us in on how you think and your insights and also the importance of leaders using cause and effect as a, as a way to demonstrate or, or, or to illustrate a, a how to make a decision and get people to own those decisions so they fully participate. Is that Would that be your assessment? Well, thank you. I love that. And I also want to thank you for being a part of C-Suite Radio and the C-Suite Network. You know, C-Suite Radio is the world's largest business podcast network. We're growing faster than any other business network in the world. And Nina, you bring a flair from down under to the rest of the world. And we appreciate that you're one of our headliner hosts, one of our top business hosts on C-Suite Radio and therefore around the world. Thank you so much, and I appreciate that. Coming from you especially, it's a, a real honor to uh, speak with you today, and thank you for the conversation. My pleasure. We've been speaking with Jeffrey Hazlett from the C-Suite Network. My name is Nina Sunday, and this is the Manage Self Lead Others podcast. Ciao for now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.